0: but it's a delight to be with you and to continue in your series on spiritual practices in a digital age. And today I've been invited to speak to the practices of silence and solitude. And so as we enter into our teaching this morning, I wanna invite you with me to think for a moment about the world of words in which all of us live. So research, suggests that in an average day, the average person will hear between 20,000 and 30,000 words spoken. That's a lot. In addition, the average person reading at an average speed will consume 7,500 words in a 30-minute period of reading. The average person can type 40 words a minute. And so a full-time student or administrator or writer might type 10,000 plus words in any given day. And so I went through my schedule knowing the kind of work I do. And I estimate that between my hearing and speaking, between my reading and writing in a given day, I will accumulate between 60 and 70,000 words. And by the time this sermon is done, Your word count will increase by 3,800. So you're welcome, everyone. (laughs) Listen to what Henri Nouwen writes. Wherever we go, we are surrounded by words. Words softly whispered, loudly proclaimed, or angrily screamed. Words spoken, recited, sung. Words in books, on walls, or in the sky. Words which flicker off and on. Move slowly, dance, jump, or wiggle. Words... Words, words, they form the floor, the walls, and the ceiling of our existence. But, says Nouwen, it has not always been this way. There was a time not too long ago without radios and televisions and stop signs and bumper stickers and the ever-present announcements indicating special sales. We all love those. Nouwen spoke these words more than 40 years ago, long before Anyone was thinking about Facebook or YouTube or Instagram or X or TikTok. These days, words and images surround us on every side. Some of those words delight us. Others feel like they're bombarding us. And so in a world like ours, we need the practice of silence and solitude. Without them, we get stuck in a daily quagmire of words, unsure of what to listen to, what to believe, who we can trust. The practice of silence and solitude brings clarity and simplicity to very loud and complicated lives. And if that sounds wonderful to you, clarity and simplicity, then I wanna encourage you to keep on listening this morning. I wanna pick up on some things that Pastor Craig said last week, offering a brief reminder on the purpose of spiritual practices. They are not an end in themselves, nor are they requirements to earn God's generous favor. Instead, these practices train us in responsiveness to God. The primary purpose of the spiritual practices is to help us grow in communion with the one who is love. It's all about connection. And so this morning, we're going to look at a few different scriptures, but I want to begin with a reading of Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. So if you've brought a Bible with you, whether it's on your tablet, smartphone, or an old school paper paper Bible, you can turn there now. I'm also going to have the scripture behind me on the screen. Beginning in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, The keen observer will notice that what I've read is descriptive, not prescriptive, which is to say this text doesn't tell us what to do. It simply describes what Jesus did. And as we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's accounts, we discover that Jesus regularly went to quiet places to seek God. And in the next few minutes, I want to use this text and others to describe three different ways that the role of silence and solitude brought something to the life of Jesus. First, it was in silence and solitude that Jesus frequently received direction from the Father. Look with me again at Mark chapter 1, verse 35 tells us that Jesus found a place of solitude and that he prayed you'll notice that there's no mention of what Jesus prayed about. It doesn't tell us if the father said anything or that Jesus was listening keenly. All of that aside, we do know that Jesus left the quiet place with a very clear sense of direction. So I I wanna invite all of you just for a moment to flip the switch of your imagination and let's try to reconstruct the scene that I've just read. So the disciples are in a house. They wake up to an impatient crowd, clamoring with needs. They all want Jesus' attention. The disciples go to look for Jesus. He's nowhere to be found. And so out the disciples go. And when they finally find Jesus, they exclaim, everyone's looking for you, which was their way of saying, where on earth have you been? Everyone's ready and they expect something for you. So go do what you do. Preach, lead. Heal, but notice Jesus' response, it's very interesting. He says, let's go somewhere else. In essence, I'm gonna leave behind this crowd and all of their needs because I have other places to visit. And I find Jesus' response remarkable in light of the way he's primarily described when he interacts with crowds. He's always compassionate, always attentive And so we're left to conclude that on this particular morning, Jesus entered solitude seeking God and he received clear instruction about where he was supposed to go and what he was supposed to do. And then he simply responded. When God speaks, we find clarity. And silence and solitude provides us space to hear. Second, It was in silence and solitude that Jesus's identity was affirmed. Now, every human being who has ever lived has wrestled with fundamental identity questions like, who am I? What purpose does my life serve? Or am I loved? Now, modern Western people will insist with vigor that identity is something that we construct for ourselves. No one can tell me who I am, but despite this modern insistence, much of our identity is actually bestowed upon us from the outside. Isn't that why we all need and long for the affirmation of others? And so we look to our families, to our communities, and ultimately to God himself to tell us who we are. And we do a disservice to Jesus's humanity, I want to suggest, by assuming that he never asked any identity questions, that he somehow just knew who he was. At his baptism, the father named and blessed Jesus saying, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. This was a pivotal moment. Before Jesus began public ministry, the father affirmed His identity. Now we're told immediately following the baptism, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert alone where he engaged in the practices of silence and solitude for a period of 40 days. And if you've read the account, you know that this solitude and silence was interrupted by the evil one, the devil. Now, historically, this account has been described as the temptations of Christ. And Jesus was not tempted to abandon the purposes of God, but rather to do God's work in an anti-God kind of way. And the tempter's tactic was to use words to erode Jesus' confidence in the identity the Father had just affirmed. If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself from the temple. Surely God will save you. And in the time of testing, Jesus was able to stand firm because of the identity affirmation he had already received. Now, before another pivotal moment in Jesus's life, before he went to the cross, the father affirmed his identity again in solitude. Luke 9 tells the story of Jesus on a high mountain and he receives a special visitation from Moses and Elijah. And there they spoke with us about his exodus. That's the word used. It's an interesting word. Jesus, like Moses before him, would lead people from slavery into freedom. And like Elijah, death would have no hold on God the son. And so for a second time, In a solitary place, the father named and blessed Jesus saying, this is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. Now from time to time, but especially when we're faced with difficulty, all of us need to be reminded who we are. And the the one who formed you in your mother's womb is most able to tell you who you are, that you are love and what purpose your life serves. Silence and solitude provides us a space to hear this affirmation for ourselves. Third, solitude provided Jesus with a place to bring his burdens to the Father and to receive the strength he needed. Now, I've already mentioned Jesus in the wilderness being tempted um, in, in, uh, in one of the gospel accounts in, uh, in Matthew. We're told that when the devil had done his worst, to Jesus and failed this is what we read then the devil left him and angels came and attended him in other words they ministered god's strength to an exhausted depleted jesus On the night that Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, with the cross looming before him, Jesus prayed saying, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. It's this beautiful picture of our Savior bringing his anguish to the Father and there being supernaturally strengthened. Note that Jesus was not released from his mission. He still went the way of the cross, but he did so in the strength that the Father provided. Brothers and sisters, we are united to Christ, and we too can be supernaturally strengthened. Not that God gives us 10% more to our natural stores, It's his strength, not ours. And not the kind of strength that makes us impervious to pain or allows us to get around pain, but rather the kind of strength that allows us to keep praying, waiting, trusting, following. When we suffer, we tend to ask, how much more of this can I take? And I understand the question, but I wonder if it's not the wrong one. Instead of focusing on how much strength remains in us, perhaps we're meant to focus on how much strength exists in him. No matter how much we stumble, God is always stable. No matter how far we sink, his foundation is deeper still. When we feel exhausted, we're pressing up against our limits, not his The apostle Paul speaks about the heights and depths and lengths and breadths of God's love. And can we not say the same thing about his strength? I'm about halfway through what I wanna share with you this morning, and I've been building up to the big idea that I want all of you to bring home with you when you leave. Here it is. Our God is a God who speaks. And silence and solitude opens our ears to listen. Let me share a personal story. Many years ago, I was running on the North Shore, down one of the trails that Craig and I had a a chance to be on together this summer. And as I was running, I was praying fervently with, uh, with a friend who had wandered far from God. And in retrospect, it it may not be accurate to say that I was really praying. Instead, what I was really doing was simply worrying about them in God's presence. But as I made my way along the trail, my worrying was interrupted by the following thought. Mark, stop running and lay down. And when that thought came out of the blue into my mind, I did what any other normal person would do. I completely dismissed it. (laughs) What was that? I just kept running. Moments later, the thought returned, but this time it was more forceful. Mark, stop running and lay down. And I knew instantly that it was from the Lord. And so I slowed to a walk and I began to negotiate with God. Do I really need to lay down on the trail? I mean, what if what if someone sees me? They're going to think I had a heart attack or that... I'm out of my mind, and Lord, you wouldn't want that on your conscience, would you? A third time, God said to me, lay down. And so I laid down on the trail, face down, feeling very foolish. But the moment I laid down, I became aware of my heartbeat. I'd been running fast and breathing hard, and I could feel my heart pounding inside of my chest And in that moment, the Lord brought to mind the person I'd been worrying about. And he said to me, Mark, I am closer to Corey than your own heartbeat. Away from laptops and smartphones, away from crowds and the noise of the city, God made himself known to me. I'd been praying as though God was far off and removed, as if he was completely unaware of what was going on, but he'd been present the whole time but the noise around and within me prevented me from perceiving his presence and activity. Richard Foster writes, by themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. God has ordained the disciplines of the spiritual life as the means by which we place ourselves where he can bless us. Brothers and sisters, don't you want to receive God's blessing? I'm sure that you do. And so we want to find ourselves in places where our hands are open, hearts open to receive. In the time remaining, I want to offer a brief description of these two different practices, along with a few suggestions on how we might integrate them in our modern digital age. So first, silence. Through the practice of silence, we are seeking to quiet external noise, speech, music, videos. But as you begin to quiet the external noise, turning things off, you will quickly discover a kind of internal cacophony of sound, if your experience is anything like mine. In silence, we become aware of our unanswered questions and our unresolved pain. All of you at times have known what it is to face an accuser who says harsh things about you. Why is it in silence, in the absence of a defender, I'm still defending myself to myself? In silence, we feel most acutely the weight of our bitterness or shame or insecurity. Now, smartphones and tablets provide a constant distraction. It's an easy escape from thoughts and feelings that we would rather ignore. And so fill my ears with lyrics and my eyes with images, and I can avoid almost anything, at least for a little while longer. But in silence, I'm brought face to face with my real self before God. And it's God's presence that makes silence a place of hope, a place to begin again, a place to receive from him. The practice of silence is more than simply a ceasing of words. It's primarily a listening for God. And the undergirding posture in silence is always one of humility. Listen to these words that can be found in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2. We read, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few." And so the author is employing spatial language, heaven and earth, above and below for rhetorical effect. The point being made is that God's perspective, his knowledge far surpasses our own. And this is wonderful news for the Christian. It means that we pray to the one who sees all, knows all, and is everywhere. And so in prayer, with great humility, not only do we speak, but we quiet our mouth to listen. We don't presume to know what God is thinking, what he's doing, or how he will lead us. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I am God. Let me just explain that briefly. Stop talking. Stop striving. Listen. Yield to him. Silence. Silence create space for an encounter with God. Now, just a few suggestions on how to incorporate the practice of silence. First, make a plan to enter into silence. Whether it's designating a period each day or week or month, designate a period as noise-free. And I want to encourage you, by all means, consider the context of your lives. Are you a full-time student? Are you employed full-time and traveling everywhere? Do you have young toddlers at home who never, ever leave you alone? The shape of your life will determine how much and where and when we practice silence. You don't have to become a nun or a monk to incorporate this practice in your life. The hard part isn't the plan, the hard part is actually making it happen. It's taking out the earbuds, it's stopping the scrolling, it's turning off the phone and leaving it behind. We find very quickly that we are addicted to external noise. And so a suggestion, if you have a daily commute, whether you're walking or biking, transit or in the car, don't listen to a podcast, at least some of the time. If you're waiting in a grocery line, that's rather lengthy. Don't reach for your phone and start the endless scrolling. Instead, fix your attention on God. And when you pray, take time to be silent. Consider asking God a question and then waiting for him to respond. You might wanna say, God, as you look at my life, what do you see? Or God, where are you working in, through, around me? Or how are you asking me to yield to you these days? We ask, and then we listen. Now, solitude. I said earlier that silence is not primarily a ceasing of words. It's a listening for God. Similarly, in solitude, we withdraw from others, not simply so that we can be alone, but so that we can be fully present to God. All of you here in this room exist within a web of relationships and you have a sea of voices that can be loud, insistent, and influential. Probably you've had the experience of being in a crowded room where there's conversations going on all around you and it's so loud, it's really difficult to key in on the one person that you're trying to communicate with. Now, every so often, someone will say to me, Mark, I don't hear God's voice. And I often wonder to myself, well, how loud are the other voices in your life? Are they crowding out your ability to discern God's voice? Solitude allows us to be fully present to God, to listen without straining, to hear without any of those other competing voices. On Thursday this past week, I woke up at 5.30 in the morning. My alarm was not going off. I just, my body woke up and I knew I wasn't gonna go back to sleep. And so I snuck out of the room, I put on my running clothes and out I went. And as I was running, I was just saying to myself, I am so exhausted. And it wasn't from a lack of sleep. It was from the conversation I'd had just the night before with my daughter. My daughter's in high school. And I would describe her as a wayward daughter. She lives in our home, but she is very far from myself and my wife. And there is a gulf of hostility from her to us that I don't know how to bridge. As I ran, I was describing this gulf of hostility to the Lord and just feeling the weight of so much pain uh, and, and hurt and as I was doing that, I began to notice there was, um, there was a melody playing around the corners of my mind, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. What song was it? And as I listened to this melody, I realized that it, the, the, it, it came from a song that uh, the title is The Son of Suffering. And Jesus in the song is described as a man of sorrows and well acquainted with our grief. And I began to say to the Lord, I'm so grateful that you are my God because you know, you understand. And as I continued my run, at one point the Lord said to me, Mark, I see you. And I see your hurt. Bring it to me. And in those next moments, all of my pain and suffering did not evaporate, but the burden was eased. I sensed the Lord's strengthening, his shouldering, of what I'd been carrying. He gave me the grace I needed for that day. I tell this story, not so that any of you think that I'm super spiritual, but to remind you that all of us find what we need in God's presence. His joy and love and healing and strength and wisdom, all of it is available. And he waits for us to put ourselves in a place where we can receive. Now, because we live in a scientific age, we tend to expect things to be complicated and technical, so much so that we might even mistrust things that aren't complicated or technical. Silence and solitude are not complicated. And you don't need technical expertise to enter into these practices. Our difficulty is not in comprehension, it's in follow through. It takes planning. It takes deliberately choosing to withdraw from environments that demand that we remain constantly connected. Maybe like me at times you say to yourself, well if I if I unplug, what will I miss? What will happen? And I'm learning with the Lord's help to ask a very different question. What will I miss if I don't unplug? Our God is a God who speaks. And silence and solitude opens our ears to listen. Jesus embraced this practice. The church throughout the ages has embraced these practices and it will be central to your ongoing encounter with God. Please allow me to pray for you. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that you are a God who speaks. You don't hide from us. We don't need to learn special words or symbols or rituals to try and hope to connect with you. You don't hide. You have made yourself known again and again through your scripture, by your Holy Spirit, and we just celebrate that you're like a shepherd and you speak in ways that your sheep can hear and understand. Lord, for my sisters and brothers here today, I pray that you would expand their capacity to hear your voice. Where they are experiencing complication or difficulty or pain, Lord, speak and bring clarity. Speak and release healing. Speak and add your strength to weakness. Lord, all of us find ourselves in a place where we are needy before you. And so humbly, we come with our hands and hearts open. We long to encounter you. And we pray with anticipation of the ways that you will reach out to us. And so we pray all of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.